Hey everyone, this is Philip Jackson, the pastor of young adults at Evergreen Church. Today's podcast is a little different than what we normally do. My friend Kyle Thomas, who is the new BCM director at the University of Central Oklahoma, has joined me in this lesson. Um, today, we, we're going to look at what it means to worship, uh, what scripture says about worship, and how we as a church worship together. God is starting to do something incredible in the lives of young adults across the Tulsa metro area. And we're beginning to see young adult ministries do more things in partnership with each other. And Kyle is one of the relationships that has developed out of the ministry known as The Gathering. The Gathering is a, is a group of young adult ministries who, who come together for worship once a quarter or several times throughout the year and, uh, and serve together in the community. Uh, and the whole idea is we want to support the Big C Church. And so today, the podcast uh, revolves around worship, what God's Word says about worship, and also um, how we fit into that context. So I hope you guys enjoy. Here you go. So we're going to talk tonight. Um, Kyle and I were have been praying over this for the last several several uh, days, and we started putting this message together um, last week. And doing a, a lesson on worship is it's kind of difficult because it's like how do you cram you know ten thousand years or eight thousand years of history into forty five minutes? So we're going to do our best. One of the things I want you to be thinking about is that um, generally what Scripture teaches us is that um, God has always existed, always. And he chose to share his community with himself um, through creation. And he did that specifically. He created human beings specifically to share in his community. And so as he has revealed himself to us, um, that has taken its shape in a couple of different ways. Um, here's here's how I want you to think about this process. A lot of times we think about worship in our 21st century context. We think of like, okay, we have Abraham, God made him a promise, then Jesus came, then after Jesus, then we had Pentecost and the first century church in the book of Acts, and all of a sudden it's like, boom, here we are at Evergreen, 2021. So much happens. And here, here's the general process I want you to be thinking about. God reveals part of who he is to human beings. He trains us how to see him and how to see ourselves through the, the mode or the, um, the vehicle of worship. Worship is how God teaches us not only who he is, but also who we are. Now, a lot of times we hear debates about worship stylistically, um, about the mode of worship. But what we're going to look at tonight is we're going to look at how has God revealed himself through history and what does it look like for us to see him and see how he wants us to know him through worship. Okay, so we're going to be all over scripture tonight. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to Genesis chapter 4. We're going to start here with worship being ingrained in us. There's a little story you guys are probably familiar in the first 15 verses of Genesis chapter 4. And this is the story of Cain and Abel. And a lot of times when people think about the story of Cain and Abel, they think this, this is a story about murder, right? But that's actually not, the, not the, the main purpose of the story of Cain and Abel. The main purpose of the story of Cain and Abel is to teach us about worship. So God reveals himself and how, uh, how he sees uh, people that come to him in worship. So I'm going to read these first 15 verses, and uh, then we're going to talk about this um, real quick. So he says, in verse 1, he says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time, his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. So God, God has a response Cain and Abel both bring an offering to the Lord. 
Cain brings just a generic portion of what he has received from the ground. Cain's a farmer, and Abel is a shepherd. Cain brings just what's obligated to him, to God. Abel, notice it says that he brings the firstborn of his flock. He brings the best possible um, offering that he can. And what's important about this lesson is not that God said, okay, I want to have a sacrifice of an animal over grain. That's not the point. The point is that God sees the heart of Cain and Abel, and he says, Cain has not yielded his spirit to me, but Abel has opened his heart to me and is submissive to me. Remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that God is our kurios, our Lord and our master. And one of the things about worship is that it's ingrained in us because we have been made to serve God. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really good. I think um, as, as we titled this, like worship is ingrained in us, we are inevitably going to worship something. Uh, and we kind of have to choose in a sense like, okay, what is the, the direction of that worship? And we see Cain here. Cain just kind of brings, hey, here you go, Lord. Um, and again, we don't have, I mean, God gives us what, what he wants us to have. Uh, but even in, in Genesis 4, um, as they're, they're kind of talking about this, so it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord. Um, so we see it just, hey, in the course of time, Cain, Cain brings this offering to the Lord. And out of this, uh, one, one writer, as I was kind of studying this, he even said, like, Cain kind of demanded uh, as his, his attitude, like, hey, God, be pleased by my offering, right? Like, I could just give you nothing uh, in, in a way. Uh, and so there's, there's some arrogance there that we have to be careful of when we even consider, you know, worship and what we are going to worship. Because uh, sometimes we, we may come and uh, we may come into worship being like, all right, like, hey, I, I rock it at worship. Like, I know I, I can clap on beat, all right? Have you guys ever been to church camp? You know, everyone starts clapping, and you're like, that's a terrible idea, worship pastor, uh, because not everyone in here can clap on beat. Uh, my wife is an example of that. She cannot clap and sing at the same time. Proven. She says not that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Love her. Love her to death. She worships the Lord wholeheartedly. But, um, and so, so we can kind of have that arrogance coming in being like, hey, I'm a really good singer. Some of you know you're really good singers. Amen to you. God's given you a gift. You know what he didn't give me? He didn't give me that singing voice. So you know what I don't do? I'm not belting it out, but I'm still praising the Lord. Um, and so with worship being ingrained in us, we have to be mindful and understand like we are prone to worship something. You see that throughout scripture, right? Uh, you see Moses, when he goes up on the mountain, what do the people do? They freak out. What just happened? I, I don't know what that was. I, I didn't do it. I thought I stepped on something. Anyway, uh, so you see, like, they're, they're freaking out because their leader is gone. They're like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, yo, let's build a golden calf and, and worship that. Like, they needed something to, to put their focus and attention on because they'd lost sight of the Lord. And it is very easy for us to fall into the same trap to where we could even inevitably be, be worship, worshiping something that is good, but it's still not God. So we have to be very careful to keep our eyes fixed, our worship fixed on God and not on just, oh, hey, this is a godly thing, all right? Um, so, uh, so, yeah, I think it's really important for, that, for us to, to understand that. Um, and this, this brings up the next, the next idea here is that worship um, is something that God, so as we developed our understanding of who God had revealed himself to be, God makes a pro promise to a man named Abram, right? Later on, he changes his name to Abraham, and he makes a covenant with him, and he makes a promise that the same thing that he promised Eve, the mother of Cain and Abel, that the, that the, the, the fix, the thing that was going to change everything back to the way that it should be, was going to come through her, he makes a promise to Abraham uh, that fulfills itself eventually with Jesus Christ. Well, as Kyle was talking about earlier, when the, when the Hebrews come out of Egypt after being slaves for 400 years, they have no idea of worship. They have no identity as a, as a nation, none at all whatsoever. They're slaves, been slaves for 400 years. The little bit of tradition that they do have is, uh, is not complete. 
And so what happens is God reveals himself and he says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you what it's like to worship me so that you can have a proper understanding of who I am and you can have a proper understanding of who you are. And so that reaches fulfillment in the law of Moses. Okay, so Moses goes up on the mountain and God reveals himself to Moses and he says, this is what your worship is going to look like. And he sets apart uh, an entire group of people, one of the 12 tribes, the tribe of Levi, that they were going to be, in, in essence, God's ambassadors to the people of God. So these Levites, these, this, this tribe of priests, they were going to set themselves completely to the side so that the, so that the people of Israel could have fellowship with God. And um, there's a couple of things that... that couple of ways that that looked. And we're not going to have time to go through all of these, uh, these verses, but if you have your pen, uh, write these down. This is Leviticus chapter 1. Um, the, all of these are in Leviticus. Number 1, Leviticus, Leviticus 6, Leviticus 3, and I'll go back and we'll hit these um, here in a second. Leviticus 5, so that worship, the guidance that God... Um, he gave to Moses. He said, you're going to be able to know me through five different ways. Okay, the first way is through a burnt offering. And this represents consecration. Consecration is a fancy Bible word, which means something that's been set apart. Okay, this is something that is uh, done on purpose so that we can have a testimony. We can tell and show other people that we are in relationship to God. Worship is first and foremost a testimony to the world. Okay, so if, if without, without a burnt offering, without this consecration, we don't have a, uh, a testimony. This is an example of total devotion to God. I am giving you 100% of this thing. Like, for instance, a burnt offering was, uh, was, was an animal, a living animal. You can't just give a piece of an animal. You give all of it, right? And so a, a portion of that uh, sacrifice was the idea that, I'm going to commit to this 100%. This animal is not going to be mine anymore. So the first thing is that burnt offering. That'd be weird, though. Like, if you just offered, like, a leg of the lamb and the lamb's still alive, you know, or half of it. It's like just <laughs> crawling around. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. That's where my mind goes. Uh, I got to control it. Um, so, um, so we see burnt offering, grain offering. So offering either flour, oil, grain, incense, uh, baked bread, Salt uh, was designed to reflect the goodness of God and the richness of his gifts. Uh, it was a voluntary act of worship and reflected commitment to God. I think with all of these that we kind of talk about, you, you see that they are, uh, again, it's not just like, hey, this could be an easy thing to, to give. I mean, they are, they are sacrificing these things, and it's really out of God saying, hey, Trust me, I'm, I'm worth it. Like, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to take all your food and then, well, see you later. Like, you're on your own. Um, this is them putting their, their faith, their hope, their trust, acknowledging that he is um, holy, he is worthy, he is the number one priority in their life. Uh, so, And the other thing about this, about a, a grain offering, a gratitude offering, is that, remember, we're talking about the attitude of the heart. So true worship comes from a heart that is dedicated and is in love with God. So if I love someone, giving them a portion of who I am is not something that is difficult to me. It's something I look forward to, right? So my wife, when I give her a gift, I don't roll my eyes and say, oh my gosh, here you go. More stuff. No, it's exciting. If you love someone and, you're, and you, you want to give a good gift to them, it's exciting to you. It's an act of worship. It's an act of love. It's a joyful thing. So they're celebrating what God's provided. The third, the third type of offering is a peace offering. A peace offering is another form of voluntary worship. This is designated for thanksgiving and fellowship. Um, it it uh, typically is, is uh, something that defines, uh, is defined by communion or uh, being part of a bond. Um, yeah, it was an offering that, that basically, um, I'm going to give you, not a portion of my lamb, because that's not how that works. That'd be weird. That'd be weird, right? Here's half of my lamb. Yeah, 
Congratulations. No, I'm going to give, I'm going to give my, the best of the best. This, this is an example of an able type uh, sacrifice. Yeah. Uh, and then we see a sin offering. Um, so for us, because of the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross, uh, him, I mean, his blood being poured out for our sin, we can now, and we see it in 1 John, right? We can confess our sins. He is faithful. He is just to forgive us, to cleanse us. And doing that, Old Testament, uh, they couldn't really do that. So they had to have a time uh, where they would give a sin offering. Uh, and it was carried out for the atonement of unintentional sin, uh, confession of sin, forgiveness of sin, cleansing from defilement. Uh, offering were made available depending on social status. So uh, it wasn't like the high priest was, hey, okay, hey, you're super poor, you don't have anything, well, you have to give a bowl, so good luck. Hopefully you find it or else your sin is still on you. That, that's terrible. Um, no, it's would offer a young bull uh, for maybe, you know, like a, the high priest, but a poor man could offer a dove or a pigeon. Uh, the destitute would offer the fine flower. You see that in Leviticus 5. And so, um, so again, it's not these high, high standards that were super unattainable. The Lord is saying, hey, like I want, I want your heart. Like that's, that's what I'm wanting, uh, obedience. Uh, I'm wanting those things. I'm not going to make this unattainable to where it's just, oh, yeah, sorry, you're, you're stuck in your sin and the weight of all of that. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is that, that God has, uh, through Scripture, has shown us that it's not about what we're sacrificing. Um, in fact, there's a story in, um, in 1 Samuel, one of, one of my favorites between, uh, so King Saul is told by God to go in and to, there's a, there's a wicked group of people named the, called the Amalekites. And these people will do things like, um, sacrifice newborn children to idols. And the way that they would do it is that they would literally have a, um, a iron brazier, which is like a giant uh, pot, essentially. They would put that over a fire until it was red hot. And then they would lay a brand new infant naked in that cauldron, and it would cook alive. These are the type of people that we're talking about. And God tells King Saul through the prophet Samuel, he says, I want you to go. I've given these people 400 years of mercy and grace. I want you to kill everyone. Everybody. Women, children, men, livestock. There is to be no trace of this, of this race anywhere because of how offensive they are to me. And so Saul goes in and he... They conquer the Amalekites, and he starts to look around. And he sees all of this fancy stuff. And he's like, man, you know what would be great is if we just, like, held on to this livestock and we just kind of just, you know, just kept it. And so the prophet Samuel comes up to Saul. He misses the battle. He comes up late. Samuel, if you've never studied the prophet Samuel, he's the last, uh, the last judge and the first prophet. Oh, my goodness, this dude. He's amazing. He walks up to King Saul and he says, Saul, what is this? He hears the sheep. He says, what is this bleeding I hear in my ears? What are these? I hear the livestock. What's up with that? And so Saul starts making excuses. He's like, well, you know, I thought we could sacrifice these nice animals to God, et cetera, et cetera. And Samuel's like, no. To obey is better than sacrifice. It's not about having something pretty to give God. Worship is not about having something nice to give God. It's about the condition of our heart. To obey, to be a person who is submissive to the master, to be someone who, is, who has put themselves underneath God's authority. That is the most important thing for worship. And so uh, the, last, the last type of offering is a trespass offering. A trespass offering was for a specific offense. Think about um, David, for instance. When David uh, took the wife of his friend Uriah and he killed his friend and God convicted him through the prophet Nathan, David had to offer a specific trespass offering to pay for that sin as an act of contrition or of conviction. So all of these things in the Old Testament law, we think of sacrifice as something that pays for sin, typically, right? But the reality is that the way that the Old Testament teaches about sacrifice is that sacrifice is about worship. It is not about giving God what he's owed. It's about expressing to him from a sincere, submitted heart in a way that, is, that shows commitment 
and shows blessing and shows honor to him. Yeah, and so the next point um, is God rejects false worship. So we're on point three of 15, so guys, get ready. Uh, buckle up. <clears throat> Not really. Uh, so you see Leviticus 10, verses 1 through 8, uh, Nadab and Abihu, and then Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, uh, 1 through 11. These are a couple of examples. Um, and so with Ananias and Sapphira, uh, so, so, so Papia. Um, anyway. Uh, Google, <laughs> Google spelled it that way. Yeah, yeah. So Papia. Sure that's did. weird. Uh, so. <laughs> it doesn't say So Papia. It says Sapphira. Anyway, guys, Whatever. still type, type that. Um, it, if you know the story, the, the point of it is the church is coming. I mean, they're giving, okay? They're giving to the church. They're giving to the Lord out of a, a heart of worship, out of a heart of obedience. They're wanting to. Uh, to really, I mean, encourage us, like they're wanting to fulfill the Great Commission, allow the gospel to go forth and do all these things. Ananias and Sapphira, what they did is they sold some stuff. They got rid of, you know, hey, we've got all this stuff. We don't need it all, blah, blah, blah. Let's sell it. Uh, and then they went to give it, but they kept some back for themselves. So the problem isn't the, the fact that they weren't willing to necessarily give it all. The problem is that they were keeping it a secret and trying to, to pull a fast one over uh, on the disciples and on the church to where it looked like they were, they were giving it all. Uh, but really, their true intent was, hey, here you go. Look at us. We're super awesome. Uh, we're super obedient. We love the Lord with everything. But they have something that they've kept back for themselves. And so, so it's important to understand, um, again, we don't, we don't need to be sitting there, like, as we, we come to worship um, in, in all contexts, like, in a, a sense of fear, like, oh, hey, I'm not, I'm not giving my all, or, or, hey, I'm really tired, I'm exhausted, I'm physically tired, like, uh, oh, I just need to keep pushing through and doing all this stuff. It's like, no, 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 God, he just wants us to be obedient, and he wants us to, to come out of a place of obedience and giving, and not trying to, not try to play a trick or, or uh, pull a fast one or, or keep something back. Uh, if they were to be like, hey, Nope, here's what we're, we're willing to give. This is what, you know, the Lord, like we feel at peace about giving this. Yes, we made some more, but we're going to hold that back for this uh, kind of thing. Like, obviously we don't know because, I mean, if you know the story, they, they got roasted. Um, and, and got struck dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I didn't, like, anyway, roasted, dead. It's all the same. Uh, <laughs> they're not breathing anymore. Um, so we don't know what happened if they would have done that, but, um, but, the point of it is God doesn't want us to, to approach with this sense of maybe, hey, I've got it all together. Uh, hey, I've got it all figured out. He wants genuine. He wants uh, transparency. He wants honesty. Uh, in worship, he wants those things. Uh, so we don't have to, you know, as an example, we don't have to show up on a Sunday morning, uh, you know, and be, hey, I'm going to raise my hands because that's what I do every Sunday, even though inside I feel like... Uh, Maybe I'm, I just don't even want to be here. Like maybe it'd be better in that case for me to sit and to, to listen and to really worship through and just allowing those things to, to kind of uh, help me out and work, work through this. So, mm -hmm. And the story of Nadab and Abihu is, is an interesting story as well. If you've never read that, it's in Leviticus chapter 10. Um, I'm going to read these first couple of verses. These guys were sons of the high priest Aaron. So Aaron is Moses' older brother. Okay, Moses writes the law. God gives him divine inspiration to write the law, and God sets aside Aaron uh, to be the high priest of Israel. So his sons, Nadab and Abihu, they um, basically get really comfortable in their position of being priests, and they get casual with their worship. And uh, check this out, how God deals with this. Verse 1 of Leviticus chapter 10. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it. That's the thing that has the incense in it. But put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So the fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. So think about this. It's not just about um, them doing something and breaking the rules. God gave strict instructions that worship is to be done in a specific way, and the way that that is supposed to be done is through absolute submission to him as Lord and Master. Nadab and Abihu, what they did is they said, you know what, we're going to just do with this what we want. There's a couple of things that this teaches us about God and how he views worship. Number one is that worship has to be intentional. 
is that worship is not just something that happens. This is something that is very specific. So there is, there is actually a, uh, a group of, of believers who have fallen prey to a false theology that worship is chaos, that worship is without order, that worship has no boundaries. And that is not true. Because worship that has no boundaries is worship that's not focused on God. Because worship that has no boundaries is focused on not having boundaries. The whole point of worship is to bring us to a knowledge of God and to a knowledge of ourselves, understanding the context of who he's made us to be. So we've got to remember that God does take our worship seriously. We can't just do whatever we want and think that God's cool with it because he has actually put boundaries on us. So whenever you think about what worship looks like, we always have to remember we're going to live by what is true. Worship is not about me. Worship is not about my needs. Worship is not about what I want or how I should view things. Worship is about God. Worship is, is about who he is. And he's the one that gets to determine what worship looks like, not me. Yeah, amen. Um, and God promises that worship will be redefined. So the next point, God promises that worship will be redefined. If you look, John 4, uh, verses 1 through 38, um, specifically starting verse 7, when Jesus is, uh, he, you know, is having this conversation uh, with the, the Samaritan woman. Um, specifically look in kind of verses 23, 24. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So right here we see worship containing two elements, spirit and truth. So this is important for us to understand correctly because Jesus is making a very specific point here. If you guys remember this episode, he is at the well with the Samaritan woman and he is, um, they're having this little dialogue. This lady has been married five times. She has um, been wounded by, by people, particularly men. And she has this chip on her shoulder immediately whenever she sees Jesus. So they have this back and forth. And Jesus says the day is coming when worship is going to be right, ever, right wherever you are. And he uses these two terms, spirit and truth. And this is interesting because the words actually mean, for, in regard to spirit, of the seat of an action. This is the central part of a, of a human being. This is the central part of who you are. So worship has to be, number one, personal, intimate. The other thing is truth. The definition of this word is, as the case is according to fact, um, as accords with the divine nature. In other words, according to, worship is two, two elements, spirit, personal, individual, intimate, and truthful, according to what God prescribes. That those who are truly God's children will worship in spirit and in truth. This is not something that is outward. This is something that's intimate. This is something that is done according to what God has prescribed. And what that means is that um, God wants our heart. This reminds, this reminds us of what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 15. He was talking about how the Pharisees were, uh, were hypocrites because they were doing all of the worship on the outside. They were showing themselves to be very pious and, com and committed. And yet Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah when he says, um, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. In other words, what this means is that worship is an authentic response that comes from the depths of a person who has fully yielded their life to God. So Jesus makes this promise. He says, yeah, worship was, was um, difficult in how I express things through the Old Testament. But the day is coming, the day that we live in now, where you will worship the Lord in spirit, individually, and in truth, because you know the truth. And so, yeah, you see, I mean, worship is redefined. Uh, Jesus, he, he gives his life, he sacrifices his life, uh, he conquers the grave. And what happens in the, the, the temple, right? The, the curtain for the, the Holy of Holies is, is torn, signifying and showing we have access. Um, and so even if you, if you were to write down and look in 1 Peter 2, uh, verses 9 through 12, it, it really displays that, shows us uh, kind of the, the access that we have, um, telling us that we are a royal priesthood. We are our God's people. So you no longer have to, to go to 
the priest or go to uh, the person or, or offer these sacrifices or do these things to, to pay for your mistakes. You have direct access to the Lord uh, to where you can do that, right? I said First John uh, 1 John 1.9 talks about that. In First Peter uh, verses nine through 2 verses 9 through 12, you see, for God's own possession. And I think it's important, again, like, our worship, it's not signifying, hey, look at me, look how awesome I am. Hey, look at me, I've had my quiet time every day this week. I've got gold stars across the board. Uh, God's going to be pleased with me because of that. Uh, I've been praying consistently, regularly. I've memorized all these verses. I've done all these things. I am super worshipful. No, he's saying, hey, we are, are his possession. We are his people. We have direct access, and our heart should really be focused and fixed on that. Um, one writer put it, a biblical theology of worship will result in worship that produces a change of heart. The worshiper will have an even, an ever greater desire to love and obey the Lord. Worship and service go hand in hand. Worship of God should propel us into, into greater obedience. Jesus said those who love him will keep his commandments, John 14, 15. If we say we love and worship him, but do not obey him, our worship is worthless. And so again, we see, I mean, through Jesus in the New Testament, uh, even, I mean, he's telling us that worship is now redefined. And our worship uh, comes out of a place of obedience. So you can think of worshiping through song. You can think of uh, worshiping at your work. You can think of worshiping through Bible study, through teaching, um, through memorizing scripture, through prayer. All of those things uh, are an element and a part of worship. And so that's now all included uh, in kind of what we're, what we're talking about here. And one of the things that, that God did through the Old Testament law was that he, so he set aside this certain group of people to be the priests, right? The Levites. And one of the reasons why he did that was to show and to prove that we need someone to stand in the gap for us. We need an intermediary. We need someone who is going to make our case before God. So picture this, right? So Leviticus paints this picture of Aaron being anointed as the high priest of Israel. And so you have all of these hundreds of thousands of people standing around, and they see Aaron go through this process that God has prescribed for him to be ready to be the high priest. So they see him come out, they see Moses wash him. They see Moses put him in an, a linen ephod and to cover him. He, they see Moses put the breastplate on him and a, and a special turban and all the, all the things that come with uh, being the high priest. And then they see Moses take this sacred oil. Sam talked about this on our retreat. This sacred oil. And, he, and Moses went through and he anointed every single instrument in the tabernacle that was going to be used for worship. And then he goes to Aaron and he pours this precious oil over Aaron's face. And it drips down his face onto his beard, onto this brand new tunic. And what this represents for the people of Israel is not that this guy is important. It's that for the first time in history, they have an advocate. Someone who's going to come into God's presence on their behalf. So when they come to the temple, when they come to the tabernacle with their sacrifices, their offerings for their worship, what this means is that God has provided a way for them to have intimate relationship with him. So that's the picture of what the priesthood is. So consider this in the context of what Hebrews tells us about who our high priest is. So this actually talked about in Hebrews chapter 9. It says this, it says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of his, this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works, and serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. In other words, what this means is that Jesus now 
is our intermediary. He's the one who stands at the right hand of God and he advocates on our behalf. So when we worship, what that means is that when we come to him as our high priest, we now know as followers of Christ, as Jesus chasers, as students of God's word, that when we worship, we are not just singing songs to the air. We are acknowledging and we are submitting ourselves to the simple truth that God has made a way for us, that there is hope, and that is because of Jesus. Worship is about acknowledging hope. It's not just about singing songs, because otherwise there's no difference between singing on a Sunday morning in church or singing on Saturday night in the beer hall, Sweet Caroline. Right? There's no difference between the two if this isn't true. And so then we, we see um, kind of this apostolic guidance uh, that comes. So in Colossians 3.16, Ephesians 5.19 um, really uh, kind of hits on that. Uh, and so I want to read, um, starting verses 12, Colossians 3. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, Whoever has complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so must you do also. In addition to all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ, to which you were indeed called in one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing ones, one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him in God, to God uh, the Father. So we see here this, uh, this example, what, what we are, are supposed to be doing. And I think worship is a, a big part of that. I was talking with uh, one of my students that, that I meet with uh, this morning, and we were just kind of talking about First um, Timothy verses 1 through 7 and just really, we were like, okay, hey, how do we, how do we focus on having, you know, a good conscience? Like, how do we focus on, on, on those kinds of things? And it's like, hey, you know, we need to prioritize the things of the Lord, right? Uh, it's not like I can just sit around and be like, okay, have a good conscience. Like, and then it just magically will just kind of happen. Like, I need to be f- fueling myself with the things of God. I need to be spending time in his word. I need to be memorizing it, praying, uh, doing those things, talking about it. Uh, and here we, we see this. Those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. Verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. So we're talking, it's like, so we need to get our minds off the things, maybe of the world, uh, the stresses that are hitting us. Uh, if you're in school, the exams, the homework, all that stuff. If you're at work, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's stuff going on, I don't know, family stuff, all of those things. Uh, because you are in those, those positions, in that family, at that job, uh, in that class, not just to, to do well in your, your workplace or in your class or, or to be a good uh, son or daughter uh, or brother or sister, or whatever, uh, but to be a light for Christ. And so it can overwhelm us if we try to do all of that on our own. Mm-hmm. And so part of worship is really surrendering that uh, and letting the Lord be like, hey, I'm not going to focus on all of these things because I, I just can't, I can't control it all. But I am going to worship you because I have a responsibility to do so. Uh, it's, it doesn't just you know, necessarily happen, happen flippantly. Uh, I have a responsibility. There is order to it. And out of that, uh, I think um, we see these things kind of come in, into our heart. You know, it's like, man, I respond with compassion. Mm-hmm. I really would have wanted to bite that person's head off if it was three months ago, <laughs> pre-Jesus. Um, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but I think that's really important. Well, and, and one of the reasons why the apostles gave us this guidance, so think about this. Put yourself in their position. You have, uh, tip, before Jesus came and died, um, typically this was all owned by the Jews. There were a couple of Gentiles who, who were not Jewish people who wanted in on what God was doing with the Jewish people, and so they submitted themselves to the old law. But by and large, most of these people were Hebrews, were Jewish, Jewish people. And so now Jesus comes, and he redefines worship. Everything is totally changed. And now all of a sudden you have all these non-Jewish people coming and trying to be a part of what God is doing, and they've got no cultural context. 
And so the apostles, Jesus' followers, the disciples, they start saying, okay, hold on a second. We've got we to gotta help, help these people understand the direction that we're going. And so in Colossians chapter 3 and in Ephesians chapter 5, the apostle Paul gives us some of this guidance, this apostolic guidance. And he says, okay, no, I want you to be thinking about other people. Worship is not just about what you think it is. It's not just about what you're familiar with. It's actually about your heart towards God. And so he talks about this. Look, at, look in, in Colossians chapter 3, specifically in verse 16. Let's talk about this. So he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Okay, have you ever wondered why we have instruments in worship? Have you ever wondered why some churches don't have instruments in worship? For instance, Church of Christ, Lutheran, some Lutheran denominations, even Baptists up until about 150 years ago didn't have instruments in their worship. So what gives? Well, this passage of Scripture right here says that we're supposed to teach and admonish. That means to encourage each other in three kinds of worship. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, these are three different things. A psalm is what you would expect. This is like a psalm of David. This is, a script, this is scripture or, a, or words set to instrumental worship, set to instrumental music. Okay, so is there a command that we have instruments in our worship? Absolutely, 100%. If you talk to someone else from, for instance, some of the guys that I used to work with were Church of Christ, they, you would actually use this exact same passage uh, to say that we shouldn't have instruments in, in worship because it says speak to each other with your voices and they ignore all the rest of the context. The second part is hymns. Hymns are theology set to music. Okay, Psalms are scripture set to music. Hymns are theology set to music. Think about songs like um, How Great Thou Art or Holy, Holy, Holy. These are songs that talk about who God is. These are praises for who he is. This is theology. Theology is the most basic thing about you, right? It's how you see God. Because how you see God is how you see the world. So the third, the third type of music is spiritual songs. This is a testimony set to music. Think about a song like Amazing Grace. This is a song that, that tells a story. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. A hymn or a spiritual song is one that says, I was one way, then I met Jesus, and now I'm a different way. So think about what that communicates to God's people. If you are uh, in worship, and you are going through a difficult time, and you're having trouble finding hope, but you hear a song, a spiritual song, that encourages you through testimony, that'll build you up. If maybe you are seeking answers for something about who God is, and you need to be reminded that he is all-powerful and almighty. Singing a song about how great our God is can help encourage your perspective. Right? If you are trying to find truth, to sing God's word, to, 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 um, to reinforce the truth of, your, of, of biblical reality, it's helpful to know and to sing scripture. These are, these are important things for us as we encourage each other. So what it means is that style doesn't really matter. But when it comes to what we're singing, it does matter. That's why whenever we uh, choose what songs we sing, it's important. Because everybody is going to learn theology through music. Here's what's going to happen. Tomorrow morning, you're going to get up, you're going to start your day, and you're going to forget everything that we said tonight. Amen. You just are. It is. You are. And I'm not offended by that. I'm not. This is the way the human brain works. But you know what? Three days from now, when you're in the shower washing your hair and you're singing How Great Is Our God, how did that song get in your head? Well, I don't know. You sang it on Tuesday night at Reach. How great is our... It, 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 just, it just does that. You're driving along, all of a sudden a song pops in your head and you can't get it out. Why is that? Because we learn theology through music. And so it's important for us to, to, to make sure that we protect our minds to only allow things in there to worship in ways that are truthful. So the next thing, emotion in worship, right? God didn't, God didn't make us uh, emotionless beings. He gave us emotions uh, for a, a reason. And so how many of you would say, hey, I've been in a worship service or a worship environment and I was moved emotionally? Okay, um, that's a lot of us in the room, right? 
I think you could say, take out the worship. Hey, I've been moved emotionally by a song I've heard on the radio or an album I've listened to. Uh, you may have a favorite album where you're like, that one just makes me cry all the time. Um, all of you that love Taylor Swift, you've probably cried to all of her music. Um, so anyway, I don't listen to her. I'm not a big... Who is that? I don't know. Um, Taylor who? Exactly. So Never, never heard of him. All right, so anyway, emotion and worship. Um, so out of kind of what we've, what we've read here, we see the, the word is preached, the word convicts, and out of conviction brings an emotional response and, and produces repentance. That's how, how it should go. I talk to my students all the time. We'll go to, maybe you have a retreat. Uh, maybe you go on a mission trip. Uh, you experience something. You're moved emotionally, and out of that uh, emotional response, you're like, okay, hey, this is what the Lord's called me to do but maybe there isn't any conviction or there's nothing substantial to really solidify what the Lord's calling you. So you come back home and you fall back into your normal routine that you were in before. And then that all of a sudden turns into, hey, well, I mean, I'm still, yeah, I'm about missions, like, but I'm not called to go full time. Uh, I have seen plenty of students gone on mission trips, be like, man, maybe this is what the Lord's calling me to do full time. And then their parents discourage them from going and their parents are believers. Okay, so that's, that's a huge thing that we have to be mindful of and understand, hey, when I have this emotional response in worship, I need to go to Scripture. I need to go to somebody that, that isn't just going to tell me, like, no, don't go to that third world country and share the gospel because it's dangerous. They're going to say, hey, I'm going to pray with you in this. Let's, let's try and solidify if this is what the Lord's calling you to do. Let's, let's look into this. Let's, let's do these things. Um, but God also gives us... Um, emotions. So you have a personality. Some of you are extrovert. Some of you are introvert. I am a huge extrovert. Uh, but I, yeah, I know it's crazy. I, I, Most of us have a personality. I didn't believe it myself. Um, okay. So anyway, um, I'm, I'm extroverted, but when it comes to like Sunday morning uh, or me worshiping, even in private, like I'm not necessarily somebody that's going to dance around. Awkward. Because I'm just not good at dancing, you know? Uh, <laughs> not that that's what it's about, but that's just what happens in my mind. Uh, I, I did not grow up in a Christian home, uh, so I had no example of what it meant, like, in worship to, to kind of really worship. And so when I started going to church in uh, 13, 14, you know, I would see people raise their hands and close their eyes. I'm like, oh, that's what that means. So I have to, well, I can't close my eyes if I don't have the song memorized. So I've just got to memorize the song, and then I can close my eyes. And then, you know, if I'm feeling super spiritual, I'll raise my hand, and then I'll be fitting in with the crowd, right? And so those are things that would go through my mind, and then as I got older, I realized, wow, Kyle, you were ignorant. Like, that's not true worship. You don't have to do those things. You also don't have to not do those things, okay? You are able to worship freely, you have direct access. So I think it's important when talking about emotion and worship, we have to be careful not to operate in extremes. I cannot project how I worship onto you. So if, I, if I'm sitting here and you know what, maybe I'm not even singing. Maybe my eyes are closed. Maybe I'm, I'm, I've opened up the Psalms. I'm reading through these things uh, as a, a worship song is happening on a Sunday morning in service. But yet you're over here dancing. I can't sit there and be like, well, that person's not worshiping the Lord properly. Just like that person that may be dancing, maybe they look up and they see me singing. It's like, well, that person's not worshiping the Lord properly. We have to be very careful not to project uh, maybe what is uh, moving in our hearts in worship. Um, I mean, getting on our knees. Guys, I'm just going to be honest. They're probably going to be, when we stand before the Lord, I don't know if I'm going to be doing this. I'll probably be like on my face, right? Because he is holy, above all. So I'll be laying down like, I'm, I'm not worthy. Don't look at me. <laughs> like, stop it. Uh, I can't hide anymore. Uh, it's too white in here. I, it's too bright. I can't. Um, so he'll see me. So we have to be careful. And so we can worship through song in our own way. And I would even encourage us um, maybe to take opportunities to experience like a, a different mode of, of worship. So maybe if you're comfortable and you're normally right here, right? Maybe just be like, okay, Lord, 
Like, I'm not doing this for anybody else. This is between me and you. And you just, you go right here. It might feel weird. It's on a Sunday morning. You're like, people may be looking at me. They're irrelevant because you're there to worship the Lord. You're not there to, to show off to the people around you. Or you might, you might do one of these. All right? Maybe you haven't because you're like, what will people think? Or uh, you start to think too much about it to where you're like, I just, I'm not, nope, I'm just going to, I don't want anybody to notice me. Okay? Uh, or maybe you are the person that's a little more extrovert. You move around a little, little bit more. And maybe sometimes you're going to be like, you know what? I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to listen. Maybe I've been, I've been focused to kind of jump into to my normal. And so I, I want to experience something uh, a little different. And so uh, just because it's not familiar to you does not make it wrong. And I think it's really important, uh, especially as we, we've done events uh, where we've had different groups, different denominations come in to worship, and they worship differently. And you know what? For me, as a believer, that's encouraging. Look at 2 Samuel 6. David danced in his underwear. Awkward, right? Danced in his underwear. And he didn't care because he was worshiping the Lord. He knew, hey, here, here it comes. Like, you are worthy of this. Now, in no way am I saying <laughs> Sunday morning, you roll up in your underwear. Um, I think security will, will carry you out. But think, of, think about this. Like, what is David known for? He's a man after God's own heart. We've been talking about this all night. That worship is not about the medium. It's not about what you're doing. It's about your heart. It's about who you are, how you're, if you submitted to, to Christ. And that's why it's important to, to, to be um, mature, just like Colossians. We read in Colossians, to be mature and to be kind towards others, to know that you know, where they are is they may be, they may feel differently, have a different familiarity to worship than you do. But here's something I also want you to think about is that we cannot expect to come into God's presence and worship if we are not truly submitted to Christ in the truth. Remember, those who worship will worship in spirit and in truth. So listen to this. In Romans chapter 10, it says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So consider this. We have all done this. If you've been in the church for any period of time, you've come to a worship service and you have chased a feeling. You've chased an emotion, right? But the challenge is that emotions, they leave. Emotions can change based on what you had for breakfast. Emotions can change based on one person cutting you off in, in traffic. Emotions can change whether or not you've had your coffee or not. Emotions make great companions, but they make terrible leaders because emotions leave us. So here's my encouragement to you is that if you are not submitting to God's word, if you have not, if you have not spent time in God's word and not, are not solely committed to him through his word, you are in no condition to worship. None at all, because you're not worshiping in spirit or in truth. You're not solely committed to him. You are not worshiping with your spirit, you're not. You're, this isn't intimate for you. This is just an exercise. You're just you're just singing words. You might as well singing might as well be singing "Sweet Caroline" in the beer tent at Oktoberfest. Spirit and truth. We have to remember that we are going to be worshiping out of a natural outflow of love and admiration for our Master. And if we don't spend any time in His Word, guess what? We're not going to have any perspective on whenever we get together to sing. Truth. God's word is a natural outflowing and emotion is a natural part. See, think about this. We, read, we talked about this last week, that God reveals himself in his word. That produces conviction. That conviction obviously is an emotional response to something that I am not doing right. I'm not matching up to God. That conviction leads to repentance. That repentance is a natural emotional response to God taking care of us, which leads to restoration. The restoration is something that we feel joyful about. This is all good and real. But absent of the truth, it's nothing but just feelings. Well, and I, I think one thing is important is, uh, I mean, it's a discipline. Oftentimes we, we think of Bible study, personal quiet time, like, hey, that's a discipline. Memorizing scripture, that's a discipline. Uh, journaling is a discipline. But I would even say worship is a discipline. I mean, if the only time that you're really, you know, spending time in worship is maybe on a Sunday morning, 
or if you come to a, a Tuesday night thing or what we do on Thursday night, like, you may not be, you're not doing it enough. Like, it is a discipline, and sometimes we don't feel like it. The point isn't about our feelings. It's not like, hey, God, I don't feel like following you today. <laughs> it's, that's where the discipline comes in, to where it's like, even though I don't feel like it, even though I may not feel like getting up at 6 a.m. because, uh, you know, fall back, time change, which is stupid. Um, because for my people, daughter... For you with kids, yeah. My daughter wakes up at 6 now instead of 7. Like, I'm not going to be like, sorry, sweetie, just go ahead and cry it out. Like, I'll see you in an hour, right? <laughs> no, I'm going to make myself get up. And so there are times where you're not going to feel like it. Yeah. And there are times where you're going to feel like, hey, I'm not, I'm not hearing God. And that's where we start to project our, our, our worldly, our, our humanly nature expectations on God and say, okay, God, I need to be hearing from you regularly or else you're not worthy of my worship. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be careful to take that every time those feelings, and they will come up, no matter how long you're following the Lord. You can follow the Lord for 50 years, and I guarantee you there'll still be times where you, you struggle with that. Just like it's a choice for me to love my wife every day. Even after 50 years, I'll still have to, okay, I'm going to love her today, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing. Hey, I'm going to choose to worship you in all aspects of my life. Yeah. I'm going to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow after you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is, a, it is a discipline. The creative expressions for worship in the Bible, um, just in case you're wondering, music, obviously. Um, other things in the Bible that were expressive in worship is dance. Uh-oh, don't say that. We're in a Baptist church. <clears throat> Sorry, did I say that loud? I'm a Baptist campus minister. I can't dance. That is a thing. Um, dance is a, is a form of worship. We saw that with David. Prayer is another one. Prayer is, an, is, a, is a mode of worship. Scripture, uh, reading Scripture out loud, um, writing Scripture, copying Scripture, praying Scripture. Art is another one. We saw this in the tabernacle when God said, I'm going to set aside these creative people to make the things for the tabernacle. How many of you like to make things? I love making things. Did you know that's an act of worship? To make your things is an act of worship. Um, To enjoy that gift and to express um, God's creativity through that. And poetry is another thing that we see in Scripture as a way of worship. Um, There are some boundaries that God has set for us. Um, One of them is is, uh, living according to human commands, right? Trying to apply um, limitations. Worship has to look this way. We're going to sing three songs, and then we're going to break, and then we're going to do announcements, and then we're going to do a welcome, and then we're going to do two songs, and everybody gets into it, and then the third song, we'll get everybody going, get everything nice and hot and heavy, and then we'll have the message. None of that is actually biblical. That's just how we are familiar with doing worship, right? So thinking that we have to do things in a certain way is not necessarily true. Uh, I think another way uh, not to worship is activities that take the attention um, away from, from God. And so again, as I mentioned, like we can, we can be doing something that is godly, but we may be doing it for our own selfish benefit. Um, and so again, there's, there is a, a fine line. Like, so what, I, what I'm saying is maybe you've gone past the stage of discipline, like, hey, I, I really want to share the gospel. But now you're just doing it so that you, you feel like you can be the one bringing people to Christ. It's like, oh man, if I don't, if I don't show up, they're not going to hear about Jesus. So you're inserting yourself into the, the, the spot that is, is God's place. Um, and there, there could be other things. It could be like, you know, for me, I like to play ultimate Frisbee. Uh, I play on Wednesdays and I play with a lot of people that don't know Jesus. They desperately need to know Jesus. And so I, I do it. Because one, I like playing sports. God gifted me with, I mean, a desire to, to play sports and be active in those kinds of things. Um, what? You're fast. He's fast. <laughs> Kyle's one of the fastest runners I've ever met. Uh, <laughs> He's like a gazelle. Fastest grown-ups he's ever. Anyway. Uh, a white stag. <laughs> Sorry, continue. Are they fast? Um, <laughs> I have no idea what just happened. Um, but it's, it's one of those to where it'd be easy for me to be like, man, I want to do these things because I just really enjoy doing this. And to, again, take that place and, and put God off to the side and be like, okay, God, like, I'll see you in a couple hours like, after I'm done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have to be mindful and make sure, and really to kind of have somebody keeping us accountable to check us, be like, hey, like, are you keeping the main thing the main thing? 
Are you, are you focused on the mission or is it now becoming more and more about you? And I think you could probably see a lot of people where uh, their own brand themselves has become the number one priority. One of the things that we want you to come away with tonight is, is an understanding of what worship is. Worship is not a certain type of music. It's not a certain style of music. It's not even a certain format. Worship is about learning who God is and expressing admiration for Him, for who He is, for that, for that sole reason. And that looks like a whole different bunch of different ways. Now, we have chosen as, as REACH, God has laid it on my heart and on our leadership team's heart that, that you know, we intentionally are a part of other ministries. And the reason we do that is because we understand that we don't have a monopoly on God. There are things that we don't know. There are things that we do because they're familiar, not because they are um, set in stone. This, this is how things have to go. So we are part of things like the gathering. Now, I understand that the worship um, style of some of the songs that we do at the gathering are not familiar to us. Some of those songs, I wouldn't, we wouldn't sing on a Tuesday night. That's true. But the reality is that God has given us a charge to be people who have a soft heart towards others, Colossians 3, that we teach and we admonish each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And that means that we go out of our way to include others, to build a relationship so that whenever the time is right, we can say, hey, I noticed we sang this song at the gathering or at this event or whatever. Hey, have you ever thought about what those words mean? What does the Bible say about that? But until we actually build those relationships, we can't have that conversation. We're just in the balcony throwing tomatoes at the stage. All right, I, want, I want to encourage you guys that as we look at worship, we have to remember that the generation that we're a part of is growing more and more hostile to believers. That means that we cannot afford to stay in our silos and not talk to other people. That means that we cannot have grace for people who are culturally different than we are. Just because something is unfamiliar to us doesn't mean that it's bad. Just because it may make us feel awkward doesn't mean that it's wrong. We test things by God's word. Lives are changed through God's word and his word only. And so I want to encourage you in this, that as you think about worship, as you gather for worship, as you sing songs to the Lord, as you pray and as you read, read God's word, remember in everything, be gracious. Because God has something to teach you and he is going to use worship to do that. Don't let what you're familiar with get in the way of knowing him because the enemy would love to win that battle. And, and I just want to encourage you guys, um, because I would, I would say, and I'm not saying the opposite of what he said, but with the generation, like your generation, they are hungry for truth and hope. They search for it, and they're searching for it maybe in the wrong places. But we see in Matthew 5 uh, that we, as believers, we need to let our light shine before those so that they can see our good works and recognize, acknowledge our Father who is in heaven. Like, so we have a responsibility. And so don't allow um, maybe the, and again, I'm somebody that's black and white. And so if somebody wasn't you know, black and white like I was, it just didn't make sense. It didn't compute. I'm like, well, see ya. Don't allow those things to get in the way of what God is doing uh, in you, around you, um, with those people that you may be sitting there like, there's no way that person would ever have a conversation with me about Jesus. Don't take away uh, the opportunity for God to do the work. Don't be the no. Don't assume the no. Uh, step out in faith. Step out, uh, share the gospel, uh, have a conversation. Maybe it's not even sharing the gospel. Maybe it's just having a conversation. Um, because as you continue to love on them, as you continue to, to show the good works that are in you from the Lord, uh, and you have compassion and you listen, uh, it'll be an amazing thing to see what God does through that. So.
enjoyed this episode of the Reach Podcast, please be sure and like and subscribe to our content. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Also, you can find us on social media by searching for reach.tulsa. Find us on our website, evergreenbc.org forward slash reach. I also want to invite you to come be a part of our community. We meet every Tuesday night at 6.30 at Evergreen Church in South Tulsa on 111th Street, just east of Mingo. God is moving in the lives of young adults all across the world. He has something for you, so don't miss out. Thank you.